Good afternoon and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is October 27th, 2021, and it is National Black Cat Day. So happy National Black Cat Day to all of you folks out there that enjoy the uh, gatos of the slightly darker variety. Uh, my name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm here as always with my amazing co-host to run down the news of the week. Um, it's been a rather interesting week, and I'm sure we're going to have lots of things to discuss. But uh, joining me as always is uh, Mr. Zach DeMeyer. Zach, how are you today? I'm doing swell. Thanks, Tom. And Mr. Stephen Foskett, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Uh, pretty good. And on National Black Cat Day, I want to remind people that black cats are the last cats to get adopted. Um, so uh, they, they're, there's no difference between the black ones and the stripy ones. So maybe adopt a black one. They're, they're good cats. Speaking as someone who had a, a jet black cat growing up, I completely agree. They need just as much love as the rest of them. You know what else needs love is our rundown of the news stories this week. We're going to go ahead and kick off with a storage story. Um, Stephen, NetApp Insight was last week, and they showed off a couple of key pieces of technology that they're hoping that consumers are going to pick up on. Uh, the first was a preview of their new A900 array, which is touted to be the fastest array in their lineup when it releases. Interestingly, though, according to our friend Chris Malore, the A900 is theorized to be an NVMe version of the existing A700 with a new memory processor instead of being built on the chassis of the existing King of the Hill, the A800. Also announced was NetApp uh, throwing their hat over the fence and into the ring of ransomware protection with the release of ONTAP 9.10.1. Now, the new release will use machine learning to automatically detect when something has been infected, and it will use the automation feature to restore from a snapshot when suspicious I.O. activity is detected. Stephen, you are the, the king of storage around here, and I'm sure that you've probably saw these announcements. What's your take on where NetApp is headed with things? Yeah, well, I think the most important takeaway is that Insight was not about storage arrays. And, uh, and that, I think, really shows the direction that NetApp is heading in. Um, and uh, you know the direction that uh, George Curian is leading the company, and I really think that that's the right direction for the company to be to be really focusing on is as a service and cloud. Uh, but that being said, of course, you know they still make storage arrays. You know they have to make sure that they're keeping up with that. And the A900 looks pretty great. Um, you know this is basically a challenger for a lot of those all flash arrays, the all flash high performance arrays, uh, high end ones with lots of capacity, lots of performance. Um, cool beans. Uh, glad you're doing it. Uh, I'm glad that they, as uh, Mr. Malore speculates, use the A700 instead of the A800 because it gives them more capacity and uh, more growth opportunity. And frankly, I think that this kind of previews what we might see in the next generation of not all flash arrays as well, uh, you know, because that's kind of how they develop. You know, the things kind of build on each other and they, you know, go in different directions. Um, so it looks great. Uh, more interesting to me is the ransomware protection. Uh, this is a, something that we're starting to see storage companies talking about a lot more. So we've heard for a while about the value of data protection to protect against ransomware. And um, certainly if you've got a good backup and you get hit by ransomware and you recover the backup, you're golden. And so that's just apple pie right there. Uh, get good backups. Um, similarly, a lot of storage arrays for a long time have had snapshots and clones, and those have been used to protect against ransomware. But of course, <laughs> this is ransomware we're talking about. So the ransomware authors have been attacking snapshots and clones. So we've heard a couple of companies talk about having immutable snapshots. Um, Pure Storage just announced that. 
And uh, we've also heard some companies talk about using machine learning to try to detect ransomware in progress. And that's really what NetApp is talking about and delivering here uh, if, they are, if their uh, promises are correct. Uh, very clever idea, essentially watching the IO, learning what ransomware looks like generally. So instead of reacting to ransomware by saying, oh, this is the signature of this exact ransomware, what they're doing is they're looking at it and saying, you know, I'm starting to see a lot of processes encrypting a lot of data. Maybe this is a problem. We're just going to put the throttle on this one. You know, we're going to, you know, roll back on this one. We're going to take an automatic snapshot or we're going to, you know, stop the IO coming from this process. Um, things like that. Very smart. I like the idea. Could work. Um, it's always good to have another tool and uh, NetApp has uh, given their customers another tool to fight ransomware. So, um, I love it. Thanks for doing that, NetApp. Uh, and also, it's nice to see you innovating on the storage array side, too, because, of course, that's where the money is. So there's that. Um, moving on, uh, Tom, uh, we heard about South Korean telecom provider KT Corporation, uh, which found themselves with a bit of an issue last week. Uh, they were down for almost 40 minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot on the surface, but KT is the second largest uh, provider in South Korea, with the, and, and this impacted over 16 million customers who are without internet or phone service during the outage. Uh, the initial reports indicated that this might be a DDoS uh, attack, but evidence points to more likely a, B, a, B, a BGP configuration error, which reminds me of something that happened to a book of faces recently. Isn't that right? Um, service was restored. Uh, to most of the customers, but some phone coverage ex uh, issues still exist in various locations. Tom, uh, is BGP going to become the new single point of failure? Certainly beginning to look that way, isn't it? Uh, th this was an interesting story for me when it popped up because, first of all, um, everyone wants to assume that the DDoS, a DDoS attack is what takes everything down because that was actually what we thought um, when Facebook first went down. It's either DNS or DDoS, right? Well, uh, typically DDoS attacks are either solved in five minutes or in several hours. That gap in between absolutely points to, oops. And if you've ever seen one of those old Looney Tunes cartoons where like someone crashes a car and there's like, you know, noises crashing for like 15 or 20 seconds, like longer than the sketch should go for, that's what it's like when BGP goes down. Like you make one mistake in a live BGP configuration and you just see things dropping all over the place. And it's like, you know, the, the hubcap rolling past your, your desk. So they found it, they fixed it, which is more than I can say for the people at Facebook, but that's probably because KT actually had access to their server cages and could type on consoles as opposed to whatever black magic that they use at, at Facebook. But more importantly, it kind of goes to show you just how easy it is to do something that can cause a massive amount of trouble. And in a country like South Korea, which is even more heavily dependent on internet connectivity than we are here in the US for a lot of the things they do, because they're most of their services use VoIP or some form of that in the backbone, we're already seeing that even though this outage just happened and they were able to bring it back online in less than an hour, they're still having sporadic issues with phones all over the country. And that's kind of systemic to the patchwork way that these service providers hold these networks together. And I'll tell you that I have never been more scared in my life than doing live BGP configurations. 
because as someone who has deleted a mailbox on accident, who has brought down entire networks just because I plugged the wrong patch cable in, those are fixable problems. You knock out BGP or type the wrong thing in, you can change the whole way the internet routes traffic, even if it's just for a few minutes. So I have a, all of the sympathy in the world for the folks at KT. Um, also, next time, at least mention that you did screw something up and that you fixed it because that 40 to 45 minute window of fixing the problem really does suspiciously look like, hey guys, don't tell anybody we made a mistake and hopefully they won't notice. Yeah, we noticed. All right, Zach, let's talk about a cyber attack story, but one with a little bit of a twist because the worldwide plague of cybercrime continues unabated and it has found itself to Iran because a major outage has caused problems with their fuel distribution system. The country suffered from a lack of gasoline at service stations um, that has been blamed on a cyber attack on the national petrol distribution computer system. Technicians in Tehran have taken the system offline for a number of service stations all over the country to kind of clean up that mess, but there's no word yet on how it happened or who's responsible. There's a lot of speculation, but nobody knows for sure. All you've got is a whole bunch of people in Iran who are very mad that they can't get gas. And when you consider how much oil and petroleum products that are being uh, generated by the country and how cheap the gas is there, that means you've got a lot of angry people. Um, Zach, I do have a question though, because this is one of the first times that we've seen a like Iran attacked in this manner. Is this gonna cause more problems down the road? And who might even be responsible for causing this? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. And honestly, it's it's hard to tell uh, who did it, obviously, at this point, but I think it definitely is going to cause some some big issues down the road. I mean, clearly, it just show, goes to show that no one is safe from these attacks, and there is uh, there's some, some bigger forces at work here, or there's just some very uh, angry, smaller forces at work. Um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely uh, it hit Iran very hard uh, from the the article linked in the show notes, you can see that, you know, there were lines of thousands of people waiting to get gas as if it was, uh, you know, a new in and out burger or something like that. Uh, it and and these people, unfortunately, were not waiting for a hamburger, but just, you know, to be able to get to work and uh, get along with their lives. And so it, it was very much a, a an impactful attack. And yeah, the at the end of the day, though, it's it's really tough to say, you know, who who could have been behind this. Um, but Ultimately, it's uh, it's it just it's uh, further reinforcing the multiple supply chain attacks that we're seeing across the you know the the globe, uh, as as you know more ways of of obtaining resources and goods are just being attacked just little by little, and and it's uh it's starting to show some some cracks in the woodwork. But you know, comparatively to uh, say a very uh, slow. Uh, you know, cybersecurity administration uh, here, perhaps on on home soil for us. I, I imagine that Iran is probably going to be making some very uh, instant and very uh, aggressive moves to try and keep these attacks from continuing. Because uh, you know, they they've obviously been uh, safe 
as far as we know uh, so far from from major attacks, unlike the ones that are being reported over here. So uh, I imagine that they're probably pretty up to date on their their cybersecurity practices, but we'll see. Time will tell, and and perhaps uh, there might be a, a bigger threat uh, that's that's kind of looming in the background here. But we'll just have to wait and see. But until then, uh, we can go on to another story, bringing it back over here to uh, to the United States as President Joe Biden has announced his picks to join the FCC. Uh, the FCC currently has four members, two from each uh, side of the proverbial aisle. But as mentioned in a past episode in uh, the rundown back in January, uh, Jessica Rosenworcel has been the acting FCC chairwoman. Uh, and she has been announced to become the permanent chair for the commission. However, her term has expired, and she needs to be confirmed again in order to avoid being forced to leave the office in January 2022. Uh, the second pick for the FCC is Gigi Son, who served as a counselor for Tom Wheeler in 2013 and is seen in the industry as a champion for consumer rights and likely to enforce very strict net neutrality rules. But at the end of the day, Tom, what does this mean for the future of providers? Boy, I love it when tech gets political. So here's the situation that we've got right now. So if you have been watching the rundown all year, which you really should have, you'll remember that right after the uh, inauguration, we mentioned that uh, Jessica Rosenworcel had been elevated to be the acting chairwoman of the FCC. The problem is, is that they're still deadlocked two to two. And just as an aside for people who are either not up on the politics in the U.S. or don't live here at all, um, the President appoints members to the FCC who are then confirmed by the U.S. Uh, Congress, uh, uh, technically the Senate. But effectively what it means is, is that whoever is the party in power enjoys having a one-vote majority. So in this case, if both of these picks are appointed, it'll be a three-to-two majority in favor of the Democrats, who are the left-leaning party in the U.S., um, here's the thing that I thought was interesting. First of all, Jessica Rosenworcel absolutely deserves to be the chairwoman of the FCC. She's been doing a lot of great work over the years, and especially considering um, everybody's favorite punching bag, Ajit Pai, and all of the dumb decisions that he's made over the last few years, having someone steering the ship who's not an idiot and doesn't drink out of a coffee mug the size of a barrel is a welcome change. However, we've run into a couple of issues. First of all, um, there's a rule that says that if you're a sitting commissioner that you can immediately be, ele be elevated to a permanent position. So that's why one of the reasons why it was pretty easy to pick Jessica Rosenworcel because she's already there. Um, second of all, because her term has already expired, if they do not re-confirm uh, her, then in January she'll be forced to leave the SEC because her term will have expired. Here's where the political hot potato comes into play because a lot of people on the left side of the aisle were not wanting Rosenworcel to be uh, appointed as the uh, permanent chair. They actually wanted Gigi Son to be appointed as the chair. Well, why is that? Well, in, as mentioned in the read-in, uh, in 2013, she served as a counselor for Tom Wheeler. And one of the things that she was a huge proponent of was net neutrality rules. How big of a proponent was she? She wanted them to go further than they did. And a lot of the things that Pi did to roll back those net neutrality rules were directly in opposition to what she was doing. So when Gigi Sun was kicked around as a possible appointee to the FCC, everybody went crazy because they're like, why don't we put her in charge so that she can drive the direction and we can bust up all of these anti-consumer rules that have been put in place for the last you know, four years? Well, here's where it gets really interesting. So remember how I told you that it's really easy for them to appoint a sitting commissioner to be the permanent chairperson, but that they're going to have to reconfirm her? Well, if they don't reconfirm her, 
then that leaves that at a two to one uh, disadvantage in the favor of the right-leaning side of the aisle, the Republicans. I think that what Joe Biden has done is he has said, I'm going to appoint Jessica Rosenworcel as the FCC chairwoman, and you'd better reconfirm her. Because if you don't, Sohn will be the new chairwoman, and you're really going to wish we'd have had somebody in there that was a little bit more moderate because she's going to make all of your donors cry. And that's one of the things that we've seen a lot of kind of a, bre a breath of relief from all of the, the major providers out there, whether they're the AT&Ts and the Verizons and the Cox Communications and the Charter and Spectrum Telecoms. They literally believe they've dodged a bullet by having Sohn be the chair, uh, not be the chairperson of the FCC. But that all comes down to the political games that need to happen in the Senate. If the Senate decides to stall the confirmations until Rosenworcel is forced to leave office so that they can get their majority, I think Biden and his administration are going to play a little bit of hardball and show them just why this isn't such a good idea. Overall, I think these are two really good picks. I think this is going to be very good for consumer protections in the U.S. going forward. But we'll see if the technology wins out over the politics for once. All right, we had a couple of stories that we wanted to take a closer look at, um, some bigger things that were going on in the industry. And I want to start off by reading about um, some chip news. Now, if you work for one of these chip makers, you probably are in one of two moods today. Because if you're an Intel fan, it might be a bit of a dreary mood, and it's not just because of the weather. Because the Titan announced that their earnings were down uh, in Q3, especially in their client area. Now, you may think to yourself, okay, not a big deal. Well, the client computing part of Intel is their biggest sector by far. Um, and it was interesting that they announced that the client side of it was down, even though the IoT and data center sides were up. So it would appear that Intel isn't selling quite as many chips to people who make stuff. Now, on the other hand, and strangely not in any way related at all, AMD announced their earnings as well, and they were super happy. And why? Because they were up across the board everywhere. 54% earnings growth from this, this quarter last year. So they are doing gangbusters business. And a substantial portion of that growth, 44% of it, came from the computing and graphics division. What do they do? Oh, you know, they just make stuff for client computers like desktops and laptops. Hmm, I wonder. Stephen, Zach, are we looking at a bigger story here with regard to the fact that the industry seems to be shifting around, especially on the client side of the house? What can we take away from this? Yeah, I think that um, it's it's a weird situation, really. So the the bottom line is, as every nerd knows, AMD is doing great, and their Epic CPUs are great, and their Ryzen CPUs are great, and their graphics cards are great. And uh, as the results show, uh, AMD is actually selling a ton of these things into gaming consoles. Uh, you know, you might buy one of them for Christmas. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just doing great all around. And uh, AMD actually gained 20% in uh, data center with their Epic CPUs. Um, and so it looks good. It looks good, to, like a good day for AMD. Intel, on the other hand, well, um, you know, you can look at it and you can say, well, Intel's got some bad news. Um, their gross margins are projected to fall. Their uh, revenue uh, is not growing rapidly in some of the bigger areas of the business, like you mentioned client uh, compute, which is a nine and a half, almost $10 billion business for them is actually down a little bit year over year. 
the data center group is is up a little bit maybe uh, year over year, but uh, not growing like gangbusters. Um, so maybe there's a problem here. Maybe Intel's in trouble. Uh, but honestly, look into the data a little bit more and, and, and you kind of see a different story. So here's the funny thing. So Intel still is, a, is five times larger than AMD in terms of revenue. So, so, so let that sink in. Intel's revenue for the quarter was almost $20 billion, whereas AMD, if I'm uh, you know, reading their numbers right, was uh, $4.3 billion. Intel's profitability is still way ahead of AMD. So Intel is getting dinged for uh, projecting that their gross margins are going to fall from 56% to 53%. AMD's is 48% <laughs> and flat. So Intel makes more money on the things that they make, and they make more money overall. So they make more profit and they make more money. Um, AMD's uh, operating income was just under $1 billion. Intel's uh, operating income was $5.2 billion. How about this one? Earnings per share. So Intel's shares got clobbered. Intel's earnings per share is about $1.70 per share, whereas AMD's is about $0.75 cents per share. In other words, stockholders should be happier with, it, with Intel as well. But it's all about the future. And it doesn't really have a lot to do with how Intel is doing this quarter and how AMD is doing this quarter. It has to do with how people are looking at these companies doing in the future. And so let's think about that for a minute. Uh, Intel obviously missed, missed, missed again and again and again with various products. Their server CPUs were late. Their process node improvements were late. They, it was so bad that effectively the company has turned over the entire company to a new management team. And in fact, one of the things that kind of got buried in these announcements is that Intel's CFO is leaving. And he was kind of one of the old school guys from the previous, uh, previous team when well, he's out of there. Intel has also changed how they report their numbers from a way that was a little bit weird in the past to a way that's more conforming to Silicon Valley companies now in the future, at least that's my read on it. So I think that what we're seeing here is more Pat Gelsinger cleaning house than a real problem for Intel going forward. And there's actually some, some light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, number one, AMD has been killing it technically product-wise, but but they're not killing it quite as much in the graphics space and in the GPU space for uh, AI processing, for example. So there's a question there in terms of how strong their future products might be. Yeah, uh, we do expect, we have high expectations for the next generation product, but any company is just one product away from missing, you know, and AMD actually did this before. They missed they couldn't develop a, a, a successful next generation product and the company really cratered. Uh, Intel on the other hand has announced their next generation products. Um, they're competitive. Um, we're excited maybe about where they might go next, but of course that stuff's not official yet, so we'll see. But more importantly, one of the things that came out in this call is that Intel is saying that their process node improvements are actually running ahead of schedule. In other words, the thing, the, the worst thing that Intel did 
is actually being addressed. And they're projecting now, and that, remember, they, they are on the hook if they mention something in a public investor call, they're on the hook to do that. So they're now saying that the process node improvements are running a little bit ahead of schedule, and they expect them to come out pretty soon. So for us nerds that are looking at this, uh, yeah, AMD is doing great in the data center. AMD is doing great in the cloud, great in the client. Intel's still doing okay. But looking out in the future, honestly, uh, Intel has a pretty good roadmap here. And if they can actually deliver those process nude improvements that, like I said, they promised to their investors, if they can do that, well, this is some good news for Intel. So I wouldn't be quite so quick to say that it's raining in Oregon and it's sunny in California. I would think that maybe there's more nuance here. I would just like to jump in here a little bit, Stephen, and, and just play a little devil's advocate because we are talking about the future and, and folks' perception of the future. And uh, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, there are some, some major moves by some uh, players outside of this conversation with folks like Bamboo Systems and other who are looking to uh, reinvent the data center by putting ARM chips in there. And so, you know, there there is a high possibility that there could be a complete subversion of the, you know, the data center as we know it, at least from a compute standpoint. And then, of course, you know, you do have everyone's uh, favorite, uh, you know, tech super giant, Apple, with their... Uh, you know, whole line of new M1 and uh, M1X chips coming out as well. So there, there is a a, a little bit of of uh, some some trials and tribulation that are ahead for Intel. And you know, we'll we'll just have to stay tuned and see if they can uh, innovate going into the future. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Right now, let's uh, let's switch to another story here. As we uh, talk about our old friends, the uh, our evil evil group who has committed the biggest mistake imaginable. You know, there's an old saying, uh, you know, it's a second to, uh, you know, going into land wars in Asia or something like that. But it's never go up against the FBI when death is on the line as the ransomware gang has seemed to go offline again. Uh, as their web portals have gone down without any word from them or their competing criminal cohorts. Curiously enough, the FBI isn't saying much about the whole thing, and that's usually a big indicator that they were involved, uh, somehow at least. According to reports, the FBI partnered with organizations to compromise the crew's backups and take them down permanently. Uh, there's no word on what might have happened to the individual crew members, and it's likely that, you know, we may never know, but Tom, Stephen... What's this mean for the rash of ransomware that we've been seeing recently? Unfortunately, it doesn't mean a whole lot for the actual overall problem that we're seeing with ransomware, because what's probably happened is, is that a lot of the Revil gang that didn't get swept up in this is probably had gone to ground and they're starting to found new crews and, and things like that. But here's the interesting thing, because I want to rewind the clock just a little bit, because we've covered a ton of ransomware stories on the rundown so far this year. We've talked about Colonial Pipeline. We've talked about the JBS, JBS Meat Packing Facility. We've talked about Kaseya. And I want to focus on Kaseya for just a moment. So Kaseya, it happened. We know that they were able to use the fleet management tools to be able to infect people through Microsoft Defender. Cool. Then we found out that the FBI had the decryption keys for the ransomware within 48 hours of the initial infection, but they didn't say anything. And remember, we covered that story on the rundown and how everyone was kind of like, man, I don't understand why the FBI could have possibly not given those keys to the people who were infected. And I said, maybe the FBI is running a longer game here and they didn't want to tip their hand that they had the keys until they knew that they were able to do something. 
Hmm. How were they able to get the keys? Maybe they got into Reval's backups and were able to find the keys, pull them out, and then they could provide them once they had enough going on. Well, boy, if you were able to get into their backups to find the keys, wonder what else you could do. So here's the deal. We live in a society that has an attention span shorter than a juvenile fruit fly. Everybody wants everything to happen right now. They want to see the next episode of The Witcher. They want to binge watch everything. They want social media updates to the second of everything that's going on. And law enforcement doesn't work that way. And they never have. Because law enforcement is designed on purpose to be a slow process. This is not law and order. Trials do not happen in the second half of the hour. Trials take weeks or months because law enforcement agencies have to collect enough evidence to make it what we would consider to be a slam dunk case because the district attorney or the U.S. attorneys are not getting out of bed unless there's a 98% chance that they're going to convict somebody. So the FBI has been moving slowly through this whole process. My guess is they had Reval's number as soon as the Kaseya attack happened. They may have even had it before Kaseya. What they wanted was proof. They wanted this attack to happen because now we have literally caught you red-handed. We're in your systems. We have all your backups. We have your names and your locations. And then we make our move. We have the decryption keys, so the damage that what needed to happen in order for us to be able to build our case, we can back that off. Yeah, it's going to be bad press, and you guys are going to look like you have ag on your face, but it's not a big deal. Now we can make our move. They're not going to be able to sweep up everybody. There's going to be some low-level operatives. There are going to be some people who are not directly involved at the highest levels. But I bet you they nabbed enough of these people that this isn't going to be a thing where they just keep coming back like a zombie all the time. They got enough swept up that they're going to be able to take this thing down for quite a while. And remember that when the next one happens, when the Revil 2 or Conti or, or whoever the next group is, unless they're a group that is absolutely 100% sheltered by a nation state, like Lazarus, like some of the APT crews operating out of Russia and China, you're going to see the FBI start to do this. And I, the one quote from the article that we linked in the show notes that I think will be very important is, it's, it's a cliche, but it's an important cliche. The gloves are off. And this is something that uh, Pat Gray over at uh, the uh, Risky Business Podcast has been saying for a very long time, unleash the hounds. It is no longer time to play by our rules against people who don't follow rules. Cyber Command and FBI have to start fighting back. And I think that this is what we're going to see in the future. We're not going to play the game of collecting evidence of building our case and hoping for an extradition from a country that will never send these people out. The hounds are going to be unleashed and we're gonna see these gangs just start winking out of existence and some vans pull up and bundle up some folks from local law enforcement and there's a quiet trial that doesn't get a whole lot of news in the, in the wider global news space, but the ransomware is gonna start dropping off. And there's been a coordinated effort across the entire U.S. to make this happen. When you look at the way the FBI has been acting, when they've been working in concert with Cyber Command, and the fact that they are trying to do everything that they can to reduce the reliance on using things like Bitcoin as payments and being able to track the way that those are being used, I think ultimately what this is going to spell for the gangs is you're not going to be able to get paid, and the people that you think are going to play by the rules aren't playing by 
their old rules anymore, it might be time to think about getting into a new line of business. Stephen? Yeah, and, and in terms of the gloves coming off, let me just point out one very specific aspect of this story. So uh, the U.S. Deputy Attorney General, uh, Lisa Monaco, declared that due to the fact that these uh, ransomware attacks were going after critical infrastructure, they declared it an act of terrorism and a national security threat. And that changes everything, because what that means is that the Justice Department and the Pentagon and the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and all of these groups can now work together to attack this stuff. And that's what we've seen here. And frankly, I don't disagree with the Deputy Attorney General on this, because quite frankly, uh, if you're attacking water and power infrastructure and uh, you're, you're taking down hospitals and putting people's lives at risk, I'm sorry, that's terrorism. That's not just a, a crime. That's a crime against the entire nation. And it's about time that they did this. And I'm actually cheering for the, the U.S. Cyber Command and so on, who's uh, finally, finally taking, you know, taking the gloves off and able to attack these, uh, these groups because uh, it really is a national security threat. So uh, good job. Uh, <laughs> good job, CIA or FBI, whoever it is that did this. Um, nice to have these guys knocked down. And maybe if they can make the environment a little less friendly for ransomware crews, maybe we'll see a little bit less ransomware. Because if you've been watching the rundown, boy, I'm sure that you're as tired of hearing about it as we are of talking about it. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. But we wanted to give you a look at the week ahead. We've got some exciting things going on. Absolutely. As we mentioned before, uh, Intel is innovating with their Intel Innovation 2021. And it is happening right now, October 27th to October 28th. So head on over and, and see what's all going on. Awesome. We also are going to be seeing Commvault Connections 21, their big yearly show. And uh, that will be happening tomorrow, October the 28th. And as a matter of fact, if you want to get coverage of their keynote, you can tune in to our live blog on gestaltit.com. Stephen and I and a couple of the members of the Gestalt IT community will be providing some updates. So you're definitely going to want to check out the website to learn more about that. Next week, uh, November 3rd through 5th, that's Wednesday through Friday, from 8 a.m. Pacific time uh, through the afternoon Pacific time, we've got uh, Cloud Field Day 12 uh, produced by yours truly. So please do join in. Uh, you'll catch the latest news about some of the uh, interesting enterprise cloud companies. And you can watch the live stream at techfieldday.com or uh, head over to LinkedIn to the Tech Field Day page there, follow it, and you'll see the live video on LinkedIn. And lastly, November 9th and 10th, we have the Open Compute Summit. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go check that out, register, and learn about all the cool things that are happening in the world of Open Compute. We want to thank you very much for tuning in for this episode, and we encourage you to continue to follow along with the Gestalt IT Rundown. Remember that we are live every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time, bringing you the news of the week and things that you should be very interested in. Um, we have great coverage of all of the stories that we linked here in the event in our 
posts. So you want to go over and check those out and read the articles for yourself and, and find out some of the cool stuff, not just our analysis, but what the, uh, the regular news media is saying. Remember that you can also get a hold of The Rundown as a podcast if you would prefer to listen to the show. Um, just search for the Gestalt IT Rundown in your favorite podcast application of choice, and you can uh, consume that as you wish. Um, Zach, what's going on with you? Well, it's an interesting uh, and a kind of a bittersweet week here for me, as this is going to be my last week here at Gestalt IT. Uh, it's been an exciting and wonderful opportunity, and i just like to thank both you guys, everyone here, and our community for such an excellent time. But, you know, you might be seeing me uh, maybe once or twice in the future, so uh, just uh, we'll see you then. All right. Thanks, Zach. How about you, Stephen? What you've got going on? Well, I've been busy with Cloud Field Day, uh, but of course, uh, Zach, thank you so much for joining us here with Gestalt IT, and uh, do look forward to bringing you back sometimes uh, if we are able to uh, in the future, but wish you the best of luck there. Um, we are going to be, uh, as I said, working on our Cloud Field Day event, and it's a special one for me because this is our first hybrid event, which means that we're going to have about half the delegates and about half the presenters in person in California for the first time in almost two years. So we are very, very excited to be able to offer an in-person slash virtual hybrid experience for Tech Field Day. And of course, we're gonna be doing this as well coming forward. So uh, very excited about that. Great. And if you want to check out some of the coverage of the event that I just finished up with, Security Field Day, make sure you head over to techfieldday.com and click on the link for the event. You can watch all the video coverage and read some of the reactions and analysis from the delegates that participated in that. Uh, but we are going to go ahead and sign off now. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in and be sure that you join us next week for more great news from the IT world, um, more great analysis from the people here at Gestalt IT. And we wanna thank each and every one of you for being a part of our community. And we look forward to the next opportunity to engage with you. Have a great day and have a wonderful week. <laughs>